Welcome to Copyright Clearance and Podcast Series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, February 1st, 2019. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, who joins me today from the magazine's offices in New York City. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So Washington and the rest of us, Andrew, have recently noted two related anniversaries, the 2017 inauguration of Donald Trump as U.S. president and the 2018 publication of Michael Wolff's Fire and Fury. A year on from Fire and Fury's fiery arrival in bookstores, we now have some sense of just how big an effect the Trump administration has had on the book business. And tell us the details. Yeah. So, you know, we always knew that Trump was going to have a big effect, right? We've been talking about some pretty big sales numbers for some of these books, but it's really something. We did a piece on, on it for the website this week. You can read it on the PW website, but the long and short is that unit sales of print books fell 5% in the week that ended January 19, 2019. And what's significant about that? Well, it tracks exactly with the same week in 2018 when Fire and Fury dropped and we saw major sales there. So we're looking at about a 5% drop January over January without fire and fury, which I think is a pretty good measure of the effect that the Trump administration has had on book sales. Now, to be fair, all major categories had declines in the week, not just uh, adult nonfiction. But overall, units dropped 5.1%. And it's not an exact correlation, I guess, January to January with Michael Wolf and without Michael Wolf, but it's hard not to notice what an impact Fire and Fury had in that week. It sold, I think, 326,000 copies in its first week, and that was the week that ended January 20th, 2018. And without a big Trump book, more or less, you could just lop off 5% of industry sales. <laughs> Even though, and I have to say, we do have some pretty big sellers right now, Michelle Obama being one of them, of course, that, you know, still, you can really see what an effect these Trump books have had uh, on sales. Well, it's not a Trump book. It's an Obama book. And uh, there is another one coming, as you'll give us uh, some more details on. But her numbers are just really remarkable. Yeah, that's right. You know, still, it's the number one seller in adult nonfiction. Uh, Michelle Obama is hanging in there and still selling great numbers. In fact, I believe she sold more than 82,000 copies uh, in the week. And is now closing in on a total of 4 million print copies sold in the U.S. That's an amazing number. That's a huge number, you know, certainly well above any first lady memoir that's ever been done. And we also get to talk about the power of Netflix with these sales figures this week, too. Uh, these figures, of course, coming from MPD BookScan. And that's because our listeners might remember a big bestseller four years ago was Marie Kondo's The Life-Saving Magic of Tidying Up. And thanks to Kondo's new Netflix series, the book is back. Uh, that book rose to number three again on the most recent adult nonfiction list, selling more than 23,000 copies last week. So, you know, that should spark some joy in publishers' warehouses. They're going to tidy up on that one, I imagine. A tidy up indeed, a tidy sum. A book selling trend you've covered a lot over the last year, Andrew, is the decline in popularity of adult fiction. So, did the lack of a big Trump book spark any joy in the fiction section? Yeah, you know, sorry to say no. You know, print unit sales dropped 6.8% in the most recent sales figures over 2018 in the adult fiction segment. And, you know, that's even though the books at the top of the bestseller list 
sold at about the same rate as they did a year ago. Uh, and they included some big names this year, too. You know, in first place in the category of adult fiction, you know, we have a new book by James Patterson and Candace Fox, Liar, Liar. And that sold a respectable 22,000 copies. But still, you know, adult fiction continues to drop. And you know, further, print units fell 5.2% in juvenile fiction as well. Uh, and that's compared to 2018. And this despite a solid showing by Dave Pilkey, whose new book, Brawl of the Wild, uh, which is the Dogman number six sold 44,000 copies in this week. And which I might add also got great reviews from my eight year old daughter. When CCC's Beyond the Book returns, Andrew Albanese finds libraries and publishers keeping their distance in Seattle. I'm Christopher Keneally. I'm Mark Rotella, senior editor at Publishers Weekly and host of the new PW podcast, Publishers Weekly Insider. Each week, we'll talk to PW editors, authors, and other industry guests about the biggest and most exciting stories and books in the world of publishing. New episodes of PW Insider premiere every Friday. So listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwinsider or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe to PW Insider on iTunes. I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book. It's Friday, February 1st, 2019. And Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly joins me today as he does each week with the latest news from the world of publishing. Andrew, you attended the American Library Association midwinter meeting in Seattle last week, and your PW colleagues were in Albuquerque for the American Bookseller Association's Winter Institute that same week. Are booksellers and librarians looking forward to 2019, or are they expecting a slump after 2018? Yeah, so I do think that 2018 is going to be a hard hard year to repeat in terms of the Trump effect. You know, we had some massive books, right? You know, for, and for a few reasons, you know, that was the sweet spot last year, I think, for Trump books. You know, the second year of the administration, you had lots of officials coming in and out. Uh, you have lots of grist for authors you know, who are ready to write. But in 2019, you know, you have to wonder if Americans are, are just getting weary of the Trump story. Uh, and we are starting to see the political effects in, in action, too. So it's not as much fun to read about the dysfunction and malfeasance of the Trump administration when the government is shut down and your neighbors aren't getting paid, or maybe you're not getting paid and your 401k is tanking. And, you know, there's just chaos all around. So that said, there are some pretty big meatballs still hanging out there, I think. I mean, Bob Mueller still has to release a report at some point, and we're told it's coming soon. So I'm sure you'll see a lot of books coming out about that in the near future. And, you know, PW reporters in Albuquerque for the ABA's Winter Institute pointed out that Barack Obama has uh, a memoir that is expected from Penguin Random House's Crown Division, and that should drop sometime in the next year or possibly two. I have seen 2019 listed as a pub date, but that seems unlikely to me. I really think 2020 is probably more likely when we'll see that book. Uh, though, who knows? Could could drop at the end of this year, too. Uh, still, booksellers had a lot that they said they were excited about, uh, including Margaret Atwood's sequel to The Handmaid's Tale, The Testaments, which will be published in September by the Nan A. Talese Doubleday imprint. And yeah, at ALA in Seattle, where I just got back from, there were a number of big authors on stage and, and on hand in the show floor, uh, including the opening keynoter Melinda Gates, whose memoir, The Moment of Lift, How Empowering Women Changes the World, is due out in April from Flatiron Books. Well, indeed, Andrew, your coverage in PW of the keynote address Melinda Gates gave for the ALA crowd uh, certainly makes it sound like The Moment of Lift could be a pretty big book. 
Yeah, I think so. You know, it, probably not in the realm of the big Trump books, um, or certainly not in the realm of Michelle Obama. But in her opening keynote, Gates was terrific. She spoke passionately about the fight for gender equality and talked about her own personal transformation into an advocate for gender equality. You know, over the course of her 45-minute talk, 30 minutes of which were in conversation with renowned librarian and former PW columnist Nancy Pearl, Gates spoke about her own personal journey, including her traditional childhood in Dallas. Her mother was a homemaker. Her father actually worked as a rocket scientist on the Apollo missions. Uh, she talked about her education in computer science and business back when she was one of the few women to pursue such degrees. And she talked about her time in Microsoft, at Microsoft, where, of course, she met a guy at work, so she says. And we assume that's Bill Gates because <laughs> she married him. And she also spoke about her family and her marriage to Microsoft founder Bill Gates and including their, their life together running what is now the largest private foundation in the world. But really at the heart of Gates' talk was the issue of gender equality. And she told the audience that you know the demand for gender equality is growing louder and it's coming from all over the world. Uh, in the U.S., you have women marching, you they're running for office and winning office in record numbers, you know, breaking through glass ceilings. Uh, and around the world, governments too are starting to recognize that investing in women and girls has to be a priority. But Progress is not inevitable, she stressed. And if we want to keep seeing this kind of change, if we want to see change, everyone needs to recognize the power that they have. Even if it's modest, even if it doesn't extend beyond their own family, everyone needs to step up. So that was a pretty inspiring keynote. And, you know, the kind of message that certainly seems suited for the times. But, you know, whether Melinda Gates can sell books like a Trump author, we'll just have to wait and see. And ahead of the conference, you noted for us that digital content generally and ebook access particularly were set to be hot topics at the midwinter meeting. And last year, Macmillan instituted a four month embargo on new ebook titles in libraries, and Penguin Random House changed its business model there. So, what did you learn when you were in Seattle? Yeah, you know, it was a big deal this year. It really was. Ebooks and digital content were definitely a concern. Uh, and I attended three separate sessions, one that I spoke at, and I'll be right more in the coming weeks on where things appear to be heading in the digital realm. But I can say this much now, you know, I did not hear at any of these sessions what I think counts even remotely as a strategy for libraries to advocate for their users. And I came away from the conference still feeling concerned that we're going to see some pulling back, at least from the major publishers when it comes to ebooks and libraries, uh, maybe in 2019. And this is after years of relative calm in the space. In one session, librarians detailed the release of a report drawn from uh, what they dubbed a national ebook summit which was convened at the ALA annual conference in New Orleans last year. And the report is billed as a step toward establishing a, a national agenda for addressing matters regarding ebooks and other digital content in libraries. And the report identifies a host of issues affecting the work of libraries in the digital realm. And this includes technical challenges and licensing, accessibility, curation, uh, communication skills, as well as the need for, frankly, more training and more skills and data collection in libraries. But there's two things that I'd point out here without meaning to sound hypercritical. And the first is that the ebook summit, which yielded this report, was held a month before Macmillan instituted its embargo. It was open. Macmillan officials were actually invited to come to that summit last summer, and they didn't show. They weren't engaged with this at all. And no Macmillan officials were at any of these meetings that I was at in today, or excuse me, that I was in at midwinter uh, last week. And that brings me to point two, which is it's nice that we have this report, 
and that we've had these meetings and that we have this catalog now of virtually everything that needs to improve in the digital content realm and libraries. But all of that is meaningless, I think, if publishers like Macmillan decide that they don't really want to have their stuff in libraries or they want to put their finger on the scale when it comes to digital content in libraries. While the report is very useful, I think, as a catalog of issues, ALA and whatever divisions are going to focus on this really need to look at the matter at hand, I think, which is that a number of publishers seem to be, remain unconvinced that libraries have a role to play in the ebook world. Now, there was another session sponsored by ebook advocates, uh, Readers First, and at that session, people seemed much more aware, uh, much more interested in the pressing issues at hand. But without more organizational support, without more of a blueprint for how libraries are going to deal with this, it's going to be difficult for libraries to marshal enough support to stop publishers from adding more restrictions on ebooks. And at the same time, we're getting pressed from another angle too with Amazon, which is increasingly signing up exclusive content. And a lot of librarians express concern, especially when it comes to the audio realm, where Amazon is signing up exclusive deals with major authors via its Audible division. And this stuff isn't even available to libraries. So as expected, ebooks were a hot topic for libraries. But I have to say, I didn't see much evidence of a defense being organized by libraries here. They seem to be studying the issues a great deal, but without some sort of plan for action, I really do fear that libraries could well lose ground on the digital game in 2019. So stay tuned. Well, indeed, uh, speaking of stay tuned, uh, listeners can turn to local coverage for Super Bowl action this weekend, Andrew, but we will turn to you throughout the year for reporting on this digital book brawl. Thanks for joining me today and every Friday on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. Coming next on Beyond the Book, what if your book concerns the absorbing lifestyle and voluminous work of William Addison Dwiggins, an American type designer, calligrapher, and book designer who is credited with coining the term graphic design? The printed object must seek to match its subject matter in presentation and production. How to pay for such a treasure and where to find the audience? Well, now there's Kickstarter for that. After organizing a Kickstarter campaign that raised $200,000, Bruce Kennett wrote and designed W.A. Dwiggins' A Life in Design. Kennett is a graphic designer, photographer, and teacher himself, and he relished the chance to be a publisher, too. What's so great about this crowdfunding model is that titles that might not appeal to a mainline publisher are eminently suitable for this. You have to gather together the people who want to read the book. But in the end, you're delivering directly into the hands of the reader a publication whose every quality you can control if you care about those things. And that was what was so great for me, was being able to supervise the printing, use really high-quality paper, produce most of it in, in New England, and, and so forth. Designed for Kickstarter, next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center. Our co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. Subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The complete Beyond the Book podcast archive is available at beyondthebook.com. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening and join us again soon on CCC's Beyond the Book.